focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us in the studio, our usual Wednesday reporters, Handan and Lee Jiang, joins us in the studio. Guys, welcome back. Good, Good evening. evening. We're going to continue to talk about North Korea and their drone infiltration, uh, which, of course, unfortunately caught South Korea off guard uh, just after Christmas. We've been talking about this all week. Tan, we are hearing various responses from President Yoon Sagar. We also have some response from Defense Minister Lee jong sub not to mention other top officials as well. We talked about how uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff yesterday saying that uh, they are embarrassed and they apologize uh, for not being able to shoot down the drones here. What's the latest remarks and the comments from them? Well, that was uh, Defense Minister Lee jong sups uh, latest reaction. He apologized once again for the military's inadequate response to North Korean drones that flew down south, crossing the inter-Korean border. Addressing the Defense Committee at the National Assembly today, Lee said he'd like to first apologize to the people for failing to properly counter North Korea's drone provocation. Uh, as you know, five drones were detected around noon on Monday, one of which flew for three hours, reaching as far down as the northern part of Seoul before flying back to the north. Uh, the South Korean military mobilized fighter jets and choppers but failed to shoot them down, shoot any of the five drones down. Minister Lee briefed that he received the initial report at around 12.10 p.m. on Monday and informed President Yoon straight away and completed his report at 12.12, so just two minutes after uh, his, the initial report. On speculations that the drones flew all the way to Yongsan, where the presidential office is located, Lee said he's confident that the drones didn't reach that far down, as South Korea's surveillance assets can detect them in stages. He also clarified that the drones were not large enough to carry weapons, saying that a, a drone's wings have to be at least five to six meters long in order to load munitions or other firearms. He added that the South Korean military has sufficient uh, counter capabilities against larger armed drones, obviously, because they're easier to detect right, and right. strike. According to the military's analysis, the North Korean drones that invaded South Korea's airspace was a two-meter class drone based on the length of the wings. As part of efforts to bolster defense against additional drone attacks, he said South Korea will hold a combined air defense drill by the Army and the Air Force this Thursday to boost field capacity. The military plans to establish a new operating system utilizing all related military assets to detect and strike small unmanned vehicles. Um, this is not the first time uh, that North Korean drones infiltrated uh, South Korea's airspace. We saw similar cases in 2014 and also in 2017. And so President Yoon was enraged, uh, outraged, uh, rather, that uh, the South Korean military hasn't been doing much since those two incidents. He also partly blamed the previous Moon administration for, for not doing much and uh, just focusing on um, building trust with the North, uh, even after experiencing the uh, drone infiltration twice. Um, to this, Minister Lee admitted that uh, the intensity of trainings against drone scenarios remains 
remained weak for the past several years, lacking a combined exercise using all strategic assets under the command of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Again, the uh, the one report that was uh, quite concerning was the fact that uh, I believe one of them they're saying was uh, visible to the naked eye, which means that it was flying low enough, it was uh, flying close enough that people were able to see this. And again, I, I do really think that uh, it wasn't North Korea trying to say, listen, now we have these drones and we're capable of uh, attacking them because like you said, Tan, uh, the, the, the weapons capable drones are much larger, but this sort of action from North Korea does come shortly after South Korea basically uh, commented on uh, uh, North Korea's latest uh, satellite images of uh, being low quality and things like that. And I think this is basically North Korea saying, all right, well, I mean, if our satellite imageries are low quality, we'll just use our uh, spy drones and start taking pictures and stuff like that. And uh, again, they got away with this. But here's the thing. The defense minister wasn't the only one who was slammed for the inadequate response. The presidential office also criticized for failing to convene the NSC immediately after the intrusion here. Tell, tell us more about this. Sure. The presidential office has slapped back at those criticisms, explaining that it was not a situation to hold a National Security Council meeting and it was not even needed, saying that National Security Advisor Kim Sung-han received President Yoon's orders real time and relayed them to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So basically, uh, the office is saying that... Um, uh, it was more prompt and more effective to give direct orders to related chiefs of defense rather than convene and hold uh, lengthy meetings, which uh, requires the attendance of not just the defense minister, but also the ministers of foreign affairs, as well as the unification. The office added that Kim Sung-han held emergency meetings with key security-related ministers to evaluate the situation of North Korea's drone provocation and to discuss future countermeasures and responses. It also unveiled the orders given by President Yoon at that time. He ordered South Korea's immediate corresponding action when the first drone was detected and later told the military to send double or triple the number of drones detected to the north and shoot them down if necessary. On concerns over South Korea's defense posture, the top office compared the situation to catching a small fly with a cannon, explaining that it was very difficult to detect uh, with a radar because the size was just too small. It also said that the military faced limits in conducting live fire strikes in residential areas. President Yoon uh, presided over a meeting attended by top presidential aides and national security officers today as part of the follow-up measures to the drone infiltration. And he called for a stern response to any kind of North Korean provocation, saying that that is the strongest tool of deterring further provocations. He stressed that South Korean military should not be afraid or hesitate due to the fact that North Korea possesses nuclear weapons. The president uh, plans to visit the Agency for Defense Development in Daejeon tomorrow to inspect the country's surveillance and reconnaissance system against projectiles like small drones and missiles and check developments of intercepting and striking systems as well as attack missiles. Had some uh, interesting reports uh, come out. Uh, senior official coming out on uh, Wednesday today saying President Yoon Suk had ordered an in-kind respond, response when North Korea drones infiltrated South Korean airspace early this week, telling aides to send two to three drones across the border if the North 
sent one. Uh, also ordered officials to shoot down the North Korean drones, of course, if necessary, and so forth. Again, uh, all of this, um, I was mentioning yesterday that we've seen an unprecedented number of missile provocations. It's gone to the point where we're so desensitized. I mean, it is concerning every time they do uh, test fire these ballistic missiles, but we've almost become very desensitized. And I think the public uh, became all the more concerned with the news that the North Korean drones are able to infiltrate uh, infiltrate uh, South Korean territory and, of course, the military not being able to shoot down any of them, which is why with all these provocations, all these uh, reckless action from North Korea, South Korea is beefing up its defense budget for the next five years, uh, aiming to raise defense spending by an annual average of 6.8%. Uh, I think a lot of people can agree that this uh, latest incident also a very good reason to continue mm -hmm. beefing up the defense as well. Jiang, let's get the details of that. Uh, sure. Now, 331 trillion won will be invested in defense spending for five years starting from next year. Now, according to the defense ministry, uh, beefing the defense budget will ramp up South Korea's capability to counter North Korea's evolving nuclear and missile threats. On Wednesday, the ministry announced the first midterm defense blueprint under the conservative Yoon Suk-yeol administration, which was launched this May. Now, the blueprint for the 2023-2027 period uh, features various defense reinforcement schemes, uh, including more uh, 3,600-ton mid-sized submarines that are also equipped with uh, ballistic missiles, and also more stealth fighters and more advanced uh, tactical surface-to-surface -surface missiles as well. Now, the ministry is um, planning to spend 331.4 trillion won during the five-year period, and from that budget, uh, 107.4 trillion won will be put to improve defense capabilities, and 224 trillion won for managing troops, equipment, and the facilities. And from next year through uh, 2027, the ministry is planning to increase the annual budget for strengthening defense capabilities by an average of 10.5% for next year uh, for force management, uh, for force management um, by an average of 5.1%. Now, the military authorities will also invest um, 560 billion won in securing uh, capabilities to counter North Korean drones over the next five years as well, because we've seen that uh, we actually yeah, need that, yeah. in fact. And also on the force structure, the military, uh, the, the defense ministry uh, plans to keep the number of active duty military personnel at the current level of 500,000. Now, the figure stood at uh, 618,000 in early 2018, but dipped to 500,000 this year due to a decline in the country's birth rate. So uh, for the next five years, the average annual increase rate will amount to overall a 6.8%, but this will, of course, have to be passed by the National Assembly, where the main opposition Democratic Party have the majority votes. But uh, it will uh, does seem like it will be an inter-Korean arms, uh, arms race, which will be inevitable.
Yeah, it's quite interesting with all this. I mean, we've uh, heard about a number of other countries in the Indo-Pacific region that's been ramping up their military, right? Japan's really been uh, ramping up their uh, defense budget as mm-hmm. well. I don't know if you guys heard about Taiwan. Taiwan is changing their compulsory military the script, uh, conscription because uh, it's four months. They're raising it to one year mm-hmm. uh, because they're saying there's ongoing threats with China and so forth. And so under the current military system uh, that, uh, you know, they're going to have to extend it to one year and things like that. Whether South Korea is going to do that, I think that'll be highly controversial. I'm sure that's not going to happen. But we are seeing an uh, increase in the budget figures there. Uh, in the meantime, a key workers party meeting uh, continuing over in North Korea. This with, of course, uh, leader Kim Jong-un announcing new policy goals to further boost the state's military. Donna, we'll walk us through the uh, the key points there. Right. It was day two of the Workers' Party's Central Committee's major plenary yesterday. And long story short, Kim declared that North Korea will continue to expand and accelerate its nuclear and missile programs against what he called newly created challenging situation on the Korean Peninsula and the broader political landscapes. Of course, here referring to uh, the widening rift between U.S. and China, as well as Russia, uh, like the one that the world has witnessed during the Cold War era. And of course, it's worsening relations with Seoul and Washington amid escalating uh, military tensions in the region. So this hints at another year of intensive weapons tests and regional tension. According to the Korean Central News Agency, new goals were unveiled to further boost the state's military power, but not much detail has been unveiled. But if you remember, a five-year military plan was laid out at the Workers' Party Congress early last year, which included development of a list of weapons, including tactical nuclear weapons, a new ICBM, hypersonic gliding flight warheads, nuclear-powered submarines, and a military reconnaissance satellite. And pundits say that in this year's meeting, the North may have listed its goals in developing a super-sized nuclear warhead, solid-fuel ICBM, and underwater nuclear weapons, the details of which haven't been disclosed yet. Top North Korean experts also said that the plenary will likely focus on the details of major military goals laid out last year that are yet to be attained. Also declared at the meeting was Pyongyang's principles of North Korea-U.S. relations and direction in its fight against South Korea. The KCNA reported that uh, Kim specified the principles of foreign affairs and the direction of the struggle against the enemy that the Workers' Party and the government must thoroughly abide by in order to protect North Korea's sovereign rights and defend national interests. Normally, North Korea doesn't refer to South Korea as its enemy or mention at all about its South Korea policy during its uh, major Workers' Party sessions. So experts say that this indicates uh, North Korea clearly has no intention of dialogue and that will see even higher levels of provocation in the coming year. During the plenary meeting, Kim also pointed out a series of serious shortcomings in such areas, science, education and health this year, suggesting ways to overcome them while also raising key tasks for next year. The economy uh, is also high on the agenda, with Kim facing mounting pressure from international sanctions, the fallout from a nationwide COVID-19 lockdown, as well as natural disasters. The meeting will continue for a third day on Thursday. Also, the presidential office here in South Korea, of course, 
announcing their first strategy report for the Indo-Pacific region. Now, the Indo-Pacific strategy, uh, this is focused on uh, fulfilling the vision for, uh, number one, freedom, number two, peace, and then number three, prosperity. Uh, ji tell us more about this. Uh, sure. Now, the 43-page document uh, released on Wednesday today, entitled the Strategy for a Free, Peaceful, and prosperous Indo-Pacific region. Now, this document includes building a regional order based on norms and rules, cooperating to promote the rule of law and human rights, uh, strengthening uh, non-proliferation and counter-terrorism efforts across the region, and also expanding uh, comprehensive security op- cooperation and much more. Now, the presidential office said that the strategy projects the values of freedom and solidarity, which are values emphasized by President Yoon Sung-yeol during his inauguration speech and also in his address to the UN General Assembly. And now it's on to the Indo-Pacific region. Now, according to the Yongsan Presidential Office, it is South Korea's first comprehensive regional strategy and encapsulates the country's commitment to broadening its diplomatic space. Now, also, a uh, report mentions cooperation with the uh, the U.S. and Japan, uh, even indications of South Korea gradually expanding its cooperation with the Quad. Uh, of course, this was uh, earlier this year, mm-hmm. a topic of discussion whether or not uh, South Korea was going to join the Quad. And then, of course, it was basically saying, hey, listen, we can't join the Quad, but we could maybe join as a working group here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it hardly mentions China. Uh, Chiang, can you tell us what this could potentially mean? Yeah, now the report issued a single paragraph about relations with China. Uh, Beijing was called a key partner, and the report said Seoul will nurture a sounder and more mature relationship as we pursue shared interest based on mutual respect and reciprocity, uh, guided by international norms and rules. Now, the report also indirectly mentioned South Korea's concern about China's military actions toward Taiwan, with the text saying Seoul reaffirms the importance of peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait for the peace and stability of the Korean Peninsula and for the security and uh, prosperity of the Indo-Pacific. Now, the document called for resuming a summit among South Korea, Japan, and China, which was last held in 2019, and said cooperation with Japan is essential for fostering cooperation and solidarity among uh, like-minded Indo-Pacific nations. Now, in the tone of the document, you can see that Yoon is seeking uh, to improve ties with Japan, which were quite frosty before he took office. Now, the U.S., of course, welcomed the strategy report with National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan saying in a statement that it will strengthen our shared ability to advance international peace, security, and promote nuclear nonproliferation. Now, we haven't heard from Beijing yet, but you can say that they're not so thrilled about this new report. Yeah, but still, I think, uh, you know, with the start of the Yoon administration, I think the Mm -hmm. consensus was that, uh, you know, President Yoon was going to be a China hawk, right? And Mm -hmm. that uh, relations with China and South Korea was going to be, you know, soured uh, for most point. But I think... 
so far he's doing what he can to kind of balance it out I, you know obviously with the UN administration and he said this I mean he's going to get closer with the, the the Biden administration and things like that he's going to get closer with the uh, the Japanese uh, side there uh, but uh, there, there's no way to kind of completely uh, ditch China because of a lot of things uh, different mm-hmm. things uh, cooperations with uh, China there uh, but yeah again you know yes with Japan I guess uh, there are improved relations between the two sides but as we talked about also yesterday uh there is a limitation i think because of the historic issues mm-hmm. at hand which by the way uh haven't been solved yet and mm-hmm. i think the victims of the forced labor uh, have come out earlier this week that uh, we're not going to accept the proposed uh resolution that was uh, set in place because none of the companies none of the japanese companies are agreeing to apologize and i think mm-hmm. that's uh the most important thing there uh in the meantime president yoon has appointed a special envoy to attend the inauguration ceremony of the incoming brazilian president luis inacio lulu da silva aka just lula sorry check that Lula da Silva uh, set for January. Tell, uh, tell us more about this. Right. Um, the uh, ruling party chief, Jung Jin-seok, will attend the inauguration ceremony early next month as a special envoy of President Jun Seok-yeol. Jung will lead a team of envoys to take part in the swearing-in ceremony this Sunday, the first day of 2023, and will deliver a letter from President Yoon to the new Brazilian leader. The presidential office making the announcement said that the letter will contain a congratulatory message and President Yoon's hopes for close cooperation with Brazil's new government to further upgrade the comprehensive strategic partnership between South Korea and Brazil. The delegation led by Tong will leave for Brazil this Friday and return home the week after. The special delegation led by Tong will also take the opportunity to meet with South Korean people and companies in the Latin American country and promote Korea's bid to host the World Expo 2030 in Busan. Left-wing Lula da Silva was elected Brazil's president in October this year, making a dramatic comeback after being locked up in a jail cell just three years ago on corruption charges. He defeated incumbent Bolsonaro in a razor-thin victory, leading him by less than two percentage points, according to the official tally. Yeah, that election was uh, quite a surprise because I know Jair Bolsonaro, I thought he was very unpopular for his kind of mm-hmm. lack of action during the uh, the peak of the COVID-19 That's pandemic, right. right? They were calling him like the Brazilian Trump. Uh, but uh, I mean, this was a close one. Uh, but uh, yeah, it is uh, Lula uh, who's taking office now. Guys, uh, let's come back here to South Korea. Uh, yesterday on our program, every Tuesdays, we have a segment called K-History Fun Facts. We do some history stuff and we covered the moon and things like that. And the reason why we talked about the moon is because uh, we wanted to talk about Tanuri. And now uh, we didn't have the latest news up until yes, uh, d- this morning. Uh, we are Happy to share that Tanuri has successfully entered the orbit of the moon earlier than planned. Uh, Chiyong, tell us more about this. Uh, sure. Uh, Tanuri, which is also known as the Korea Pathfinder Lunar Orbiter, uh, was captured by the moon's gravity on Tuesday and began rotation. Uh, 145 days after being launched into space from the Cape Canaveral Space Force Station in Florida on a Falcon X rocket, which was developed by uh, the U.S. aerospace company SpaceX. Now, according to uh, the Science Ministry and Korea Aerospace Research Institute, the achievement comes after Tanuni 
conducted its third and last lunar orbit insertion, also known as LOI maneuver, to enter the moon's orbit at around 11.06 a.m. on Monday. Uh, although the institution planned to conduct five LOIs, uh, lunar lunar orbit was achieved just three rounds of the maneuver, so it was achieved earlier than planned, as you mentioned. Now, currently, Tanuri is moving around the moon every two hours from an altitude of a little over 100 kilometers above the surface. Now, having entered the moon's orbit, Tanuri will now embark on a year-long mission to collect lunar surface data from January. There you go. Uh, Again, I mean, South Korea relatively very uh, new to this space program, and they've uh, certainly advanced uh, a lot over the past few years here. Uh, Let's talk about some COVID-19 related issues. Uh, Yesterday, again, uh, we talked to an expert uh, regards to the uh, COVID-19 situation here in Korea, but uh, we've also raised the concerns over what's happening over in China. Now, we knew that uh, China is sort of late to all this because they've, you know, opened up their borders and uh, they've, uh, you know, gotten rid of all the COVID-19 measures far later than everyone else. And now what you're seeing is an explosive uh, number of COVID-19 cases in China. Now, the Korean government is saying they're keeping a close tab on the neighboring country's pandemic situation for obvious reasons. Uh, Tan, what, what what do we know so far? Well, according to various foreign news outlets, including Taiwan's Central News Agency, over 17% of China's entire population have been infected with COVID between December 1st to December 20th. The report cited a leaked document from China's National Health Committee. And South Korea has been keeping its guard up against possible influx of COVID patients as well as possible new variants from China, uh, adding uh, China to the list of countries subject to target inspections at the Incheon International Airport. So currently, inbound travelers from China with COVID symptoms need to get tested upon arrival, and uh, the body temperature that requires testing has been toughened for visitors entering from China from 37.5 degrees to 37.3 degrees Celsius. Health authorities vowed close monitoring of the pandemic's situation in China and prompt introduction of necessary measures. They also promised sufficient supply of cold medicines and other medical equipment to treat COVID-19 in case of a sharp increase in the number of infections. A detailed announcement on that is expected this Friday. That's right. And uh, again, the big concern with uh, China is that uh, it's weird. They they have a very low vaccination rate. And uh, what experts are saying is that it's because they trusted well, for the longest time, they trusted the zero COVID policy because it was working. It's just that mm-hmm. people are sick and tired of the COVID, uh, zero COVID policy. And so because there is a very low vaccination rate, you're going to see an explosive number of cases. But uh, if you look at some of the things that we've learned in the past three years uh, is that the countries that have the very low vaccination rate, those are the countries uh, where you see a lot of these variants pop up. Mm-hmm. And so this is the new fear right now. I think Japan 
uh, issued a, uh, a travel measure for all inbound Chinese uh, travelers, saying that all Chinese inbound uh, is it, travelers coming into Japan, they need to go through PCR test. And so um, maybe this is something that uh, South Korea could be uh, doing as well. Uh, who knows? But uh, we'll keep a close tab on that. Uh, while we're on the topic here, let's also get some uh, latest updates on COVID-19 figures here in South Korea, because it, it does seem like the spread is continuing, though, in a fortunately, uh, smaller than expected scale here. So, Tan Tan, let's get the latest figures. Right. All key indices are within the manageable level with no major spikes in daily tallies, but Korea continues to see daily new COVID infections hovering around the 80,000 level. Now, this is a smaller scale than what the government had expected before the winter season began, but South Korea is now one of the six countries with the largest number of daily infections along with the U.S., India, and Brazil. We saw over 87,000 uh, new cases as of midnight today, which is up by nearly 3,000 from two weeks ago. The figure has been on a steady increase with the seven-day average now standing at around 67,000. The number of critically ill patients and COVID deaths are also on the rise, posting 587 and 69, respectively. Those are uh, high figures, but uh, also I think that South Korea is amongst the, uh, the countries with the highest number of uh, infections is because I feel like we're one of the few countries that's still testing right now mm -hmm. I, I can't see that you know the u.s and india and brazil they're testing people and they're just you know finding people in the hospitals turns out they have covid but uh again um we'll, we'll see because uh, now we have the uh, the indoor mask mandate uh, whether or not they're going to lift that uh, but mm -hmm. the current numbers right now certainly doesn't show that uh, we're, we're anywhere near uh, that range that the government has issued uh let's talk Russia, because Russia has hit back at the G7, uh, the EU, and Australia. Uh, of course, uh, those are the uh, kind of the the bloc that attempted to cap gains from the uh, the country's oil revenues after Putin signed a decree banning sales under contracts to comply with the sixty dollar per barrel price ceiling uh, imposed because of uh, Ukraine's uh, by Ukraine's uh, Western allies. Uh, Chiang, run us through on what this is all about here. Yeah, now on Tuesday, President Vladimir Putin delivered Russia's long-awaited response to a Western price gap, uh, signing a decree that bans the supply of crude oil and oil products that start from February 1st uh, for five months to any country that abides by this cap. So it's not only the G7 Australia countries, it's any country that abides by the uh, the uh, price cap. Mm -hmm. Now, the group of seven major powers, as you mentioned, the European Union and Australia agreed this month to a $60 per barrel price cap on Russia's seaborne crude oil, which started this month uh, on December 5th uh, over Moscow's special military operation in Ukraine. Now, the price cap, uh, unseen even in the times of the Cold War between the West and the Soviet Union, is aimed at crippling Russian state coffers and Moscow military efforts in Ukraine. And some analysts have said that the cap will have little immediate impact on the oil revenues that Moscow is currently earning. Now, the cap is close to the current price from for Russian oil, 
but well beneath the windfall price Russia was able to sell for this year. And that actually helped offset the impact of financial sanctions on Moscow. Now, Russia is the world's second largest oil exporter after Saudi Arabia, and a major disruption to its sales would have far-reaching consequences for the global energy supply. Now, the decree uh, that was published on a government portal and the Kremlin website was presented as a direct response to actions that are unfairly friendly and contradictory to international law by the United States and foreign states and international organizations joining them. It's also interesting because uh, Vladimir Putin also came out saying that, look, uh, but um, I do have special powers when I could lift them on special occasions. So uh, uh, get on my good side and uh, maybe I'll lift those as well. But we knew that Putin was going to use that uh, Mm -hmm. to leverage himself uh, during this ongoing conflict there. Uh, In the meantime, talks are on the way to arrange a U.S.-Japan summit early next month. This, according to Japanese media outlets, Uh, Talon, what do we know so far in regards to this, and uh, what will likely take center stage? Well, according to Japan's Yomiuri Shimbun, Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida will visit Washington, D.C. to hold talks with President Joe Biden at the White House on January 13th. If materialized, it'll mark the first time for the Japanese leader to visit the White House for a summit with President Biden. Yomiuri says Kishida will likely explain Japan's defense overhaul and the amendments of the country's three key defense papers, including the national defense strategy. The two will likely focus on readjustment of the allies' roles in line with Japan's revision to acquire counter-strike capability. And to make those changes, the two leaders are expected to first revise the current Japan-U.S. Defense Cooperation Guideline. Now, this guideline provides a general framework and policy direction for the Allies' roles and missions for bilateral security. The guideline up until now worked under the premise that the U.S. holds the role of a spear, while Japan holds the role of a shield. But now that Japan declared its counter-strike capability with plans to possess hundreds of missiles with a flight distance of over 1,000 kilometers, an adjustment to the guideline is inevitable. Ahead of uh, Kishida's U.S. visit, he's also scheduled for a three-nation tour to Europe, namely the U.K., France, and Italy, all members of the G7 nations, according to Kyoto News Agency. Japan is set to chair next year's G7 summit, slated to be held in Hiroshima in May. Kishida will likely discuss countermeasures against Russia's invasion on Ukraine and rising threats from China and North Korea with the European leaders. Guys, you know, one of the topics that uh, we rarely talk about uh, here on uh, Focus on Headline is weather. Uh, But over the past few weeks or so, uh, whether it be uh, weather here in South Korea or in the U.S., we've covered a lot. Um, That brutal, brutal, almost nearly week-long winter storm that the U.S. has been experiencing. Uh, A lot of people are calling this the storm of the century. Uh, The death toll continues to change hourly here. Uh, And uh, more than 60 people lost their lives across the country 
U.S. President Joe Biden now declaring a federal emergency in parts of Western New York, which, of course, uh, is saying is uh, they're saying is basically ground zero uh, mm-hmm. to this uh, severe winter storm that has affected uh, a dozen uh, U.S. states. Jian, let's get the latest here. Uh, n- yes. Now, the death toll is rising with at least 64 people dead in the U.S. And nearly 30 of those deaths happened in New York State alone. And the Buffalo area remains paralyzed from nearly four feet of snow. Uh, The winter storm has also forced the cancellation of thousands of flights, including about 4,800 on Tuesday morning, U.S. time alone. And thousands of passengers have been left stranded at airports across the country. Uh, Conditions are now expected to improve uh, with very little snowfall on Tuesday and slightly warmer weather on that day. Now, on Monday, U.S. President Joe Biden approved an emergency declaration allowing federal support for New York State and tweeted that his heart is with those who lost loved ones on this holiday weekend. Now, neighboring state New Jersey also sent emergency services to New York State to provide further assistance. Now, State Governor Kathy Hochul, who is a native of Buffalo, described the storm as the blizzard of the century and said that it's like going to a war zone and that vehicles along the sides of the roads are just shocking at the moment. Now, the U.S. National Weather Service predicted that the cold wave would move towards the east and would gradually weaken. But unfortunately, the aftermath of the cold wave and heavy snow would continue for a while in certain areas. Yeah, um, I'm very much familiar with this area. I went to uh, Syracuse University back Mm -hmm. when I was in university, which is central New York. And I remember uh, winter of 2007, it was uh, February 2007. Mm -hmm. uh, We saw actually three feet of snow uh, at that time. And you know things are bad when places like Buffalo, Syracuse, that uh, central New York area where you have the lake effect. They're very good with the snow removal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get a feet of snow, like a foot of snow, they'll they'll get rid of that really quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they're unable to move and when they're unable to do all this, you know it's really bad. And uh, just a number of people that have lost their lives because of this. Uh, it's it's unbelievable right now, and we're seeing devastating weather patterns, uh, very volatile weather patterns uh, all across the world. And again, there are people who say, no, there's no such thing as climate change. But hey, I think these are signs that it is true. Guys, thank you, as always, for coming in with your reports. Please stay safe, and uh, we'll see you guys again. Thank, thank you. you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.